Welcome everybody. We are here for the Intelligent Property Investor Weekly Masterclass. I've got a big roll up for you today. I do these webinars every week to keep everybody up to date with actually what's going on, not only here in Australia, but around the world. And in specifically, we're talking about property, what's going on in the property market. So this week, um, we've had a few things happen during the week. Uh, first of all, we're, we're looking at the global uncertainty and where we're at from that perspective. There's a global uncertainty index, would you believe? And we'll be looking at what that actually uh, says. I also want to talk about, when we talk about global things, I want to talk about the China's three policy um, thing that they came out with during the week. They said, now you can all have three, three kids, three child policy. Um, instead of only one that they had back in the 70s, would you believe? So I want to talk about that. I want to talk about GDP numbers, gross domestic product and where we're heading there and particularly how it relates to property. We're also going to be looking at the households and how they're sitting from a wealth perspective because most places are sitting with a wealth war chest of money and you can predict where that money's going to go, can't you? and why investors are still watching from the sidelines. Most people think that all the investors have jumped in and they're going crazy and it's all about speculation. Well, the figures show a different story. So let's get into it for today. First up, we've got the global wrap. What's going on on a global basis? Well, as I said before, the three-child policy in China is something that's been announced in the last week or so. It actually came out, uh, the one-child policy came out in 1979. Two they changed it to two children back in 2016, and now it's up to three children. What does it mean? Well, I mean, I'd hate to be controlled by a government that says how many kids I can have, but putting that aside, what it means is that uh, China has realised that their one-child policy has created a massive problem. Have a look at this. This shows you the number of births in China and how it's been falling since 1961. So, uh, you know, in the 70s, they said, that's it, you know, we've got to curb our population because they had that massive, uh, massive uplift there. But the thing is, we're back down to all-time lows. So the number of births is down as low as it was back in the 60s when they had the Great Famine over there. And, you know, massive, massive deaths and, and all those things and birth rates went down because it was a massive famine and people didn't want to be, you know, bringing children in the world when they didn't know whether they could feed them or not. So that is, you can see there how the birth rates have gone and whatever. Um, this was, this is how they've started to decline. Now, in 2016, they said, oh, well, you can now have two children. But look, the birth rates are still coming down. So they're going, oh, you can have three. Well, the birth rates are still coming down. Now, that's creating a problem because the problem is that when you look at their demographics, the working age population um, is going down compared to, uh, you know, the, the total population. So it peaked back up here in 2010, whereas now with the ageing population, because they haven't been having the babies coming through to take up those positions, it's slowly coming down. And this is going to be a problem if the trend continues when we start to have a look at, um, you know, the birth rates. Because even they say, well, you can have three now. The fact is that a lot of the Chinese population are going, yeah, I don't want three because they're too expensive. 
you know, you've got to do this, you've got to send them to school and they've got university and all these other things. So a lot of the, um, the modern Chinese are simply not having two or three kids because they're expensive. So with the increase in education and other things that are happening there, it is going to create a bit of a, bit of a problem in, the, in, uh, in China. The other thing on the world stage that I thought was worth mentioning is the um, World Food Price Index. And world food has gone up. Now, this is not to be alarmist, but it is something to watch because as food becomes more and more expensive, a lot of the third world countries are going to have a massive problem. So uh, it's kind of got a compound effect with what's happening with you know, borders and closures and food and COVID and all of those things are having an effect. And what it means is good food is getting more and more expensive. So it's something to watch. Um, I'm not going to go into a huge amount of detail right now, but it is something I will be commenting on if it starts to become an issue because it'll have a, it'll have a pretty broad impact if, um, if food be just becomes too expensive for, uh, for countries to feed their people. And in some countries, I was actually speaking to a charity in uh, Cambodia and with COVID, it's the biggest problem is food. They're, you know, you can't get food into the poor areas uh, because food has become the, the new premium. Uh, and it's, it's, it's the flow on effect of COVID. So it can have devastating effects, particularly in the underdeveloped countries. Um, you know, in the Western world, well, we can all go back to our own veggie gardens, can't we? But that's actually not what's happening in a lot of the, the third world countries. So, you know, it is something to be watched and it has a massive humanitarian uh, flow on effect. What's happening in the Australian economy? All right. Well, the first thing is that we have iron ore pricing going through the absolute roof. And you can see here the, the massive increase in iron ore. It's not translating so much in coal or, uh, or natural gas, but certainly the iron ore has gone up. Does that, does that mean that we're all massively wealthy right now because in Australia because we've got uh, you know, lots and lots of ore shipping out of the country? Well, we're doing all right. But the thing is we're not massively wealthy because the, um, the quantities are not as great as they have been in the past. So, uh, you know, we've been holding our own, prices are good, but the quantities are not as much, uh, you know, it's not having a massive effect on, on GDP. We're not in danger zone or any of those other things, but it's not having a massive effect on GDP. So why is GDP doing so well? Why is our gross domestic product so, doing so well, especially compared to other countries? Well, a lot of it is actually coming back to our, um, to our property market. And if you look down here, it's actually the, uh, the renovations and alterations and uh, you know, purchasing of new property that's really buoying things up, particularly the renovations and alter alterations. So of, the, of the, uh, the total GDP increase, which was 1.1%, uh, we actually have 0.9 of that is, uh, is related to the uh, the, the additions and, and renovations that we're, we're doing in our homes. So Bunnings would be doing very well right now, as we all know. Um, just, just on that before I go on, I would not like to be an owner of a commercial property that has Bunnings as a tenant. Because what you, what's happening is, you know, they've signed up to all these great tenants, huge buildings, you know, massive, t massive leases and the, and the owners of those properties say, yes, I've got Bunnings as a tenant, it's so good. But there's been a conscious move uh, to, uh, in the head office of Bunnings to um, start to buy their own. So what we're seeing all around the country is when the leases run out, they've already 
purchase new land, putting new buildings in, and they're moving into their own buildings. So a lot of the old Bunnings stores are being left vacant. And, uh, you know, it's putting a big hole in uh, the owners of those properties. But that's just a sideline. I thought I'd bring it up. Manufacturing is up. This is good news. I am so excited about this. I am so excited about the fact that um, that that we are starting to bring manufacturing back onto shores. It's only just the tip of the iceberg. We've only just started to to make it happen, but it's a good thing. You know, I think if anything, COVID has really made us realise that we can't be so dependent on overseas countries. You know, we need to be able to to run our country without imports. And, you know, it's a great thing to have. And I was speaking last night about, about manufacturing and how we've turned the corner. I'm really excited about that. But uh, the thing that, you know, then I got onto the fact, well, you know, we look at past mistakes and one of our past mistakes is letting our car industries go. And I said last night, you know, the, there is one thing that could have saved our car industry and it was very, very simple. Every government department, state and federal, was should have been mandated to only be able to buy Australian-made cars. It would have saved our industry. It would have saved our our jobs. It would have would have you know had a massive impact here, and that's all they needed to do. You know why are government departments allowed to go off and buy? I don't know Audis and and Toyotas and whatever else. All they needed to go, do is go, all Australian cars have to be, uh, all, Australian, all government cars have to be Australian. And that would have fixed everything. It was just ridiculous. And we got plenty of fast cars with the fast SS Commodores and everything else that we had for the police to be able to catch everybody. So that's not an issue, you know, and that is what should have happened. This is why we need to be so diligent and we need to start having our voices about things that matter. And bringing manufacturing back onto our shores matters. So, you know, we're starting to, to go in that direction, but it nowhere near as much as we, we should. So what we're seeing here is that seasonally adjusted, you can see here that manufacturing is actually um, higher than we were back in 2018. So this, this uplift here is really exciting. And if you can see this point here, that's actually pre-COVID. So manufacturing had gone down from 2018 down to 2019, where we're shipping it all off overseas. Then we had COVID. We recovered from that. But look at this. This is the exciting bit because we are now not only above where we were pre COVID from a manufacturing perspective, but we're actually above our high that we had back in 2018. Now, the last time we were up anywhere near this was back in the early 2000s. This really came about from a treaty, would you believe, that was signed back in the 70s that uh, the Western countries signed and said there's going to be a conscious effort to get manufacturing into the, um, the developing nations so that we know we can be, we can be building and we can, you know, we can expand further because we've got you know, cheaper inputs and we're helping those countries and it's all, all lovely and we're all happy. It's not the case because you know, one of those developing countries is actually China. Well, they're not a developing country anymore. And uh, we shouldn't be stuck with this treaty that we signed you know, 40 years ago, 50 years ago, and, uh, you know, and it's not relevant today. It's, it's like a lot of the treaties that we sign. I think I mentioned last week about a treaty we signed called the Coastal Treaty, which basically says that uh, anybody who's in Australian waters has to be paid Australian wages. 
do you know that that was, which means that all of our imports have gone up in, in, in pricing because of this. But it's not, they're not going to the people who are on those boats, I can guarantee it. It's just going to the boat owners who are saying, oh, thank you very much, Australia. We'll just pocket that extra profit. Thank you very much. You know, they're not going to do that when their their place of employment is in Bangladesh or somewhere. They're going to pay them whatever, you know, a good wage in Bangladesh is. So, uh, you know, it, we just... We just passed a stupid rule in order to uh, to line the pockets of shipping companies. Nothing to do with us at all. You know, we think we're being humanitarian, and we're just not. They just don't think these things through. Um, and that you know that particular treaty that was signed then that was signed at something like ten to midnight, where there were three politicians in the room. One of them they filmed and was asleep, and then the other two voted for it. That's ridiculous. We shouldn't be able to pass these stupid rules when most of the politicians aren't even in the room. Other ones are being passed, you know, on Valentine's Day when everyone's out with their wives and, and husbands and it's just, it's got to stop. We should have a minimum quorum of politicians in order to pass a bill. Ugh, annoys me. Anyway, have a think about it because if we don't stand up about this stuff collectively, you get all these stupid things being done and it has a long on-flowing impact, just like this kind of stuff. This is why I do these things, because I want you to become more intelligent about what's going on and not to become complacent. What we have here is the um, output sec sector index. So, you know, we're, we're up, you know, past where we were pre-COVID. Uh, this is the employment index. Again, we're up well and truly above where we are pre-COVID. And, and from an employment perspective, we're doing really, really super well. This is the health, household disposable income. Again, we've all got more money in our pockets from an income perspective than we had uh, pre-COVID. So that's, that's looking very good. Um, the savings ratio, there was a massive saving through COVID, as you can see there. Now, we've started to come back on that. We're not saving quite as much as we did through COVID, but it's certainly well and truly up there. And I think a chart like this really shows just how much we really saved through COVID. So what that means is right now we've come out of that. We're not saving as much. We're spending more, which means that our retail sales have rebounded. So you can see here's COVID. We're going a bit of a bumpy road, but we're well and truly above the trend line that we were on with retail sales. So keep it up, guys. We need to, uh, we need to do that. But in particular, we need to be supporting the, uh, the Australian manufacturers because that's what's going to really make our country... Um, better, it's going to make our country have more employment, um, there'll be more solidarity, all the good stuff starts to flow from us choosing to, uh, to buy Australian manufacturing. But our labelling needs to change, you know, because it's, it's manufactured here, it doesn't mean that all the ingredients don't come from overseas, so watch those labels. Uh, this is really about business confidence, so you can see here that business confidence is, is up, um, and, but business conditions are up. So, so there's actually more room for, uh, for higher business uh, confidence because the, uh, the business conditions are even higher than the business confidence. So this is probably due to the lockdowns and things going on and off, on and off, on and off in Victoria um, and might be spreading elsewhere thanks to the news this week of the stupid people crossing the borders when they're not allowed to. Um, I won't give you my views on that, but I'm a lot harsher than a lot of other people will be. So this is where we have that, you know, that increase. Um, it means there's more good times to come, basically. 
this just shows you the, um, the, the breakdown. So trading's up, profitability's up, and employment is up. So it's all up, 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 which is good for Australia. The next thing I've got here is the CapEx. So this is the capital expenditure. And again, you can see here that the um, you know, seasonally adjusted is actually high. So there's more, more opportunity for, uh, for more growth in this space. And remember, when we're starting to talk about capital expenditure, we can be as good as any other country in the world. We can be as as uh, economical as any other country in the world when we're talking about capital manufacturing. So when we've got a machine that does whatever and it spits it out the other end, we can be just as cost effective, just as affordable, just as anything else. And we don't have the freight that is going through the roof at the moment coming out of China particularly. You know, freight has gone up something like four or five times. But when we've got a machine here that's chugging along doing and making widgets, whatever they are, what it means is that we have more capacity um, and it's actually going to be more affordable here uh, than perhaps bringing the, the, that same widget in from overseas because it's the labour content that beats us when we're manufacturing, not the cost of a machine. Um, this just shows you again, business confidence. We're back up to where we are on a normal basis. So on a normal year, any other time, we are sitting pretty with that. The next thing I've got here is a bit of an article that was put out during the week by Frieden, or it was about Frydenberg, saying that we've maintained our uh, AAA rating, which is kind of surprising considering our debt level. Because normally, in normal times, debt levels and high debt, as we've got now, as you can see, and going to be paying it off for decades, um, we, uh, they would normally downgrade our credit rating. But there's been a major shift when it comes to credit and our view on credit. And consequently, you know, the powers of B says, well, everybody's in debt. You know, the whole, the whole world has had a new norm now. So compared to the rest of the world, guys, you're doing really well. Um, our public debt, because the, the part of it also is because, yes, we've got major public debt. So this is the, the government debt. But our interest rates are so low. Money is so cheap that this debt really is not concerning. It's not something that is, um, you know, is, is hurting our pockets or anything like that. And it did save the economy. We talk here at job ads. This has come out from ANZ saying how job ads are up. Um, and that's translating into unemployment coming down. The expectation is that we will be down to about 4.9% and heading towards 4.4% is our target for employment. And we're well and truly on the road for that. So I hope you're enjoying all the, uh, the, uh, the updates that I'm giving you every week. Uh, if you're listening to me on a podcast then, um, or in Spotify or on iTunes, um, maybe you'd like to go across to the uh, to my website, which is iloverealestate.tv or my YouTube channel, which is the same name. And you can see all of the charts that I actually have here as well because you can subscribe and you can get coming to you automatically. That way you get all this information with all of my charts all the time. And I've always got lots and lots of great data for you. Now, what's happening in the Australian property market? Look, um, right across the world, the property market has gone crazy. Turkey, oh my God, there's, there's a bit of a problem happening in Turkey because there's a fear of 
um, of uh, you know some of the central banks and things going down. So what are they doing? They're pulling out their money and they're putting it into property. So the, this is very high, but it's because of what's going on over there. It's, it's a bit of a problem. New Zealand, 22%. So this is the, the quarter ending March. Now, we don't rank in the top 15 countries for the highest price growth. But for this quarter, we might because uh, this quarter, where we're running at the moment, we're running around about the 10. So we're right down here. We're nowhere near New Zealand, but the, the reality is that we tend to follow New Zealand or at least Sydney follows Auckland. So uh, the likelihood is that we'll start to go up this scale is pretty jolly high. There's the price index by, uh, this is the New Zealand price index, sorry, from Core Logic, And you can see there how there's been this gigantic rise in pricing in New Zealand. And as I say, that is, that's expected to flow on into Australia as well. Lending is up right around the country. All the states, is, uh, we, we've got more and more lending happening. It was up 3.7% for the month of April. Um, and, uh, you know, that's a 68% that's a increase. But you've got to kind of tamper that a little bit because we were so low a year ago. You know, everything had just gone into COVID. So, Whoa, no one's doing anything. So you can't really buy too much into that. What we can look at, though, is where we were back in, say, 2017 before APRA stuck their nose in and started to reduce lending. Um, we're actually up above that now. So we're getting up to, to above where we were um, back in 2017. So that's actually more of a real indication than where we were a year ago because we're in the middle of chaos then. Um, and it's both owner-occupiers and, uh, and investors. You know, lending is starting to creep up there for both. But don't get too concerned about the investor market because what this chart shows is this is the investor housing uh, finance commitment. So what we're seeing here is that a lot of the investors haven't uh, tipped their toe back into the property market as much as we have in the past. So we've still got some major upside, as you can see here, from 25.9% to 35% uh, to come back to the, the norm trend line and even above to where it, where it was back in you know, the, the post-GFC times where we were 2013, 14, 15, et cetera, where we were really, um, you know, prices were really starting to accelerate. So there's going to be, when these, when these investors start popping in and, and uh, taking their full position in the market, we're going to see that rise and that is going to have a, uh, an upward pressure on house pricing. The other thing we've got here is um, this is the new housing finance commitments. And you can see right across the board uh, there is, uh, there's an increase. But those lines above here uh, show you where the, um, where the median has been before. So, so this, is the, this is where we normally sit across the countries, across the states, I mean, not countries, states. So you can see only Tassie is sitting at their norm. All the other, other states are actually below. So there's still plenty of room for investors to pop back into the market. So this is the, the proportion of investors in the market. Um, and you can see they're quite low across the board uh, compared to where they normally are. Now, when, they, when those investors start to come on board, we're going to see a significant turnaround in that and that will have upward pressure on pricing. Um, just to add proof to that, you can see here the... Um, 
mortgages compared to dwelling growth. So, you know, the, the, the dwelling growth is the, is the orangey colour here and the mortgages are here in the, in the blue. So you've still got plenty of room to grow uh, here. So that means, again, upward pressure on pricing. I'm just trying to give you a little bit of an insight into what the charts mean. Um, Melbourne, same thing, much, much bigger. And obviously that's been hampered by COVID, uh, by the lockdowns and they're in it again. Poor old, price. I feel so sorry for Victoria. But it's actually the, the state that I'm probably the most bullish on um, because of the immigration when that starts and also the fact that they've been hammered so hard, there is a lot of upward pressure, but not in apartments. They are massively oversupplied in apartments. So we're starting to see this... Uh, you know, the big, big gap there. So that means upward pressure for Melbourne. This one's Brisbane. Again, good good gap there. So a more upward pressure there. And Perth is a, you know, massive upward gap, uh, upward um, pressure. And the reason for that is because it's been low for so long. And, uh, you know, that's that's what we're seeing. And it, it, it yeah, pretty much follow as we go through. You can track that back and you can see that when you have those kind of gaps, you're going to have uh, significant upward pressure. And history shows that that's exactly what happens. When we look at vacancies, all the vacancies are down right across uh, right across the country. Adelaide's pretty pretty um, on par. Perth's on par. Canberra's on par. All the rest, their vacancies have gone down. Now, I really want to stress here the difference between units and houses because this chart shows you dramatically how the rental return per week for the average house has gone up but the rental return from apartments has gone down. Why? A number of things. One is oversupply, um, particularly in the big city, Sydney and Melbourne, but Melbourne particularly. And then the other reason is that a lot of the immigration, when they come in, they take up the apartment uh, market. So we haven't had the immigration to, uh, to take up some of this excess supply that is sitting here in the apartment market. Lockdown has certainly um, uh, had a, a bit of an effect. We're looking at, this is the second lockdown in Victoria I'm talking about. Uh, you can see there that clearance rates have started to come down across the capital cities and a lot of that is because of Melbourne. They can't get out, they can't even go to the auctions. Some are still bidding it over the telephone, but that is having an effect in the weekly clearance rates. Long term it's not going to have an, an impact, but certainly short term it, it does. And you can see that with the, um, you know, the how the, um, the clearance rates have gone. Now, a little bit of a, uh, a truth bomb for the week. Where do, does our self-talk actually come from? We are very, very good at being very, very negative on ourselves. So self-talk is something we need to be very conscious of. As you can see in my little picture here, it's don't be a victim of negative self-talk. Remember, you are listening and particularly your subconscious is listening. I just did a massive two-day event over the weekend. It was called Millionaire Within and it was all about um, mindset and getting your head in the right spot and the practical tools and things that you can do to recognize how damaging this kind of stuff is and what you can do to fix it. Now, out of that, there's a few things that have, that have come, uh, to, come to, to the fore. And that is where do we think these, this self-talk actually comes from? Well, the common, um, the common thought process is it's from our peers, it's from parental influence, you know, we start to get a negative feedback from people, so we start to think that, you know, we're no good at it and whatever else. 
There's another study though that's come out and I actually think this holds a, a lot of weight. It's not perhaps more weight because obviously, you know, we've all had different childhoods and other things and there's, there's stuff there to overcome and peel the onion and get rid of all the, the baggage that we carry around with us for forever and ever. But this recent study has come out and said that a lot of it is actually coming from laziness. Why is that the case? Well, you've got to do that feasibility study, but you know, you're not that confident in it and whatever. So you make up a, a story to yourself that says, I'm no good at numbers. I can't do it. In reality, you're too goddamn lazy to get out there and ask someone or learn how to do it or, um, you know, work it out for yourself. It's nothing to do with you're not good at numbers, you're stupid, you're anything or any of the other excuses that you come up with. A lot of it comes back to laziness, complacency. I was talking about this with Australia. We're a bunch of lazy so-and-sos. We're a bunch of, of complacent so-and-sos and we need to stop this as a nation. So just stop it. <laughs> and it starts with stopping the self, the negative self-talk. Because when you when you have negative self-talk, it's kind of like a, a self-fulfilling prophecy. Because what it does is your subconscious goes, okay, that's what we're focusing on. We're, we're not good at this. We're no good at that and whatever else. We don't have the confidence. So we're going to go about um, making decisions that uh, that keep us safe from doing those things and it holds you back. It's self-sabotage. It's self-sabotage under another name. So just stop it is my truth bomb, bump, <laughs> is my truth bomb for the week. Now, just remember, I still have a few spots available for free uh, for all of you to be able to jump on. Well, not all of you at once, but to be able to jump on and have a free breakthrough session with one of my advisors. Now, it's 60 minutes long. There are appointment times down here you can click on to and make that happen. Um, these are very, very valuable because what they do is they'll talk to you about where you're at and where your goals are and then how we can actually help you achieve those goals. Because if we're not working through this time, this, this crucial period of time that we are in right now will go down as, in history as one of the greatest money-making opportunities of the century. So we need to be part of it and you need to be part of it in a big way. You need to be doing everything you possibly can to maximise your position. And that's where we come in because we can help you with that. These breakthrough sessions are free. Put them in your diary. Make sure you turn up on time because my advisors have allocated, you know, time slots for you. So make sure that you're there to uh, to see, you know, what, what you can really do, you know, what you can really accomplish. They're very valuable. They're called the Real Estate Break. 60 minutes long. They're free. All you've got to do is go to iloverealestate.tv forward slash questions forward slash. So that's it from me, guys. That is my Intelligent Property Investor Weekly Masterclass wrap up. Hope you enjoyed it. I'll be back again next week to uh, join you on it. Then, guys, bye now.